Today I want to continue with our series. We've been on the series um, about the kingdom of God, and we've been talking um, for several weeks now about God's kingdom and what that looks like on planet Earth. What does God's kingdom look like on the earth, and what should it look like? And so to, we've been talking about that. We've, we went through the whole political thing. And by the way, I want to encourage you to pray and continue to pray for uh, the politics in this country. It's important that we pray for those that, um, honestly, that truth is revealed and that the truth comes out. And so we just trust God with all of that. All of our hope is not in politics. Our hope is in Jesus. But we do pray and we do take our responsibility serious. And so we spent about two weeks talking about government, talking about unity, talking about a little bit about politics and things like that. And today I want to talk to you about kingdom marriage and what kingdom marriage looks like. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't announce it before you got here, but you're going to work on your marriage today. <laughs> so I've got some friends. Can you turn my mic down just a hair? Brennan must have pushed me up a little bit. I've got some friends who built a house about 15 years ago, and, and they, they built this nice house, and they bought a beautiful piece of land, and it has these nice big oak trees on it, live oak trees, not the ones that fall over in the hurricanes, you know what I'm saying? And so they had these nice live oak trees, and it's a beautiful piece of land, and they went in, and they prepared the soil, and put some, brought some dirt in, dug some dirt out, and all that, and then they poured a concrete foundation, and built this nice house on top of it. And man, it was awesome. And we celebrated with them. We did all the Thanksgiving. You know how it is when somebody gets a new house, you do all the Thanksgivings and the Christmases over there. You know, you got to break the new house in. So we did all that. And for about five years, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, they started noticing some cracks in the wall. Cracks in the sheetrock. And we're kind of like, man, what's... Like, what? come on, y'all. Five-year-old house, you should not be having any cracks. I mean, I know we live in South Louisiana and everything moves, but... So they noticed some cracks in the sheetrock, and then they went outside, and they noticed some cracks in the mortar on the bricks, and they were like, uh-oh, we got something going on here. They seen some problems. And so the, they called in a professional to come in and take a look, and that professional was a foundation guy who, was, who specialized in foundations. And he came in, and he looked at, at the symptoms. He looked at the cracks in the walls and the sheetrock and saw where they were, and he looked at the cracks on the brick, and he saw where that was, and... Then he began to look at the concrete underneath the house. He began to inspect that, only to find out that what they saw wasn't the problem. It was just a symptom of a bigger problem. The bigger problem was their foundation. So they built this beautiful house on top of this foundation that wasn't solid. And because of that, it created some problems. And today we're talking about marriage. And a lot of times we have problems Sometimes it's surface problems. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands this morning, I don't want to embarrass you, but how many of you kind of fight about the same things over and over again? Kind of feels like you're doing patchwork. Like you see a crack over here and you patch it and you hope it gets better and then before you know there's a crack over here and you patch that one and you hope it gets better. And, but isn't that how marriage can be sometimes, that if you're not careful you spend more time patching cracks than you do solving problems? And so today I want to talk to you about your foundation. I'm not going to focus on the cracks today because we could do a whole series on the cracks. But the only way you fix cracks is when you get to the foundation and you shore up the foundation. So my friends had to spend a lot of money. And their lives had to be disrupted enormously. They called in a company and the company came in and began to rip floors up. 
cut the concrete inside the house, pulled the dirt out inside the house, had to jack the middle of the house up. It's a mess. They had to fix the foundation before they could fix the cracks. Because if you fix the cracks and then try to fix the foundation, you're going to fix the cracks again. You see it? And then they, the company came in and shored up the foundation. And then they began to patch and fix cracks that were now able to stay. So I want to talk to you about your foundation today. How is your foundation? I don't know if you realize this, but marriage is under attack like never before. 2020, as soon as the, the COVID pandemic hit, domestic violence jumped by 68%. When I heard the statistic, I almost fell down because I'm like, it jumped by 68%? Domestic violence, that's violence at the house. And I was like, Lord, why did domestic violence jump by 68%? And I felt like he said, because people don't know how to live together. They've been dealing with their issues by skirting them. Staying busy at work, staying busy with hobbies, busy with the kids. So you stay so busy, you don't deal with the problems. But marriage is under attack. But I want you to know something. Marriage has been under attack since the first marriage. The very first marriage was the first marriage to be under attack. And, and Satan has been attacking marriages ever since. You've got people struggling with financial stress. Don't know how to talk to each other. Impatient with each other. Edgy. Sharp-tongued. <laughs> At my house, we call that feisty or salty. <laughs> if I come in barking a little bit, she'll go, boy, you're a little salty today. <laughs> Jesus was asked a question about marriage in Matthew chapter 19 about marriage and divorce. And listen, before I get into all this, if you've been divorced, I don't, I'm not trying to bring any condemnation on you by any means with this message. In fact, we pray for you and we hope and we believe God for you that whatever you're standing for and believing for is going to happen. And by no way are we trying to condemn that today. But in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was asked this question about divorce. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no, no man separate. So God's intentions when he brought man and woman together was to take two flesh and bring them and make them one. To join them together with such a bond that no man could come and separate it. It's an inseparable bond. That's God's plan for marriage. It's a plan to take two totally different individuals and join them together to make them happy. Wrong. Not to make them happy, to make them holy. If you got into marriage to be happy, <laughs> you're sad. Because <laughs> it's not going to make you happy all the time. 
In fact, I'll flip the script on you and say, if you'll start embracing that marriage is here to make me holy, I will soon discover the joy of holiness, which surpasses the happiness that I thought I was supposed to get when I got married. Amen? Jesus said these words. He said, for this reason, and it's, it's our responsibility to find out what is that reason that he, that he gave us marriage. What reason, why did he join two people together? What was the purpose? Well, we know to multiply is one of the purposes, right? That was Adam and Eve's instructions from God was to be fruitful and multiply. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if y'all don't know that, I mean, we've got to back up. But let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. He's talking about the, the Trinity. He's talking about God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he's saying, let's make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does it mean to be made in God's image? Does it mean that we look like God? Physically. No, you're not a physical appearance of God. That's not the image that he's talking about. It actually means to be made in God's likeness, to represent his being, to represent who he is to everyone else on the planet. In fact, I'll say it this way. It is, it is we are living symbols of God on earth to represent his reign. So, so watch this. You are, because you're made in his image, a representation of God on the planet for people who don't know God. You've been designed to look like God's goodness, his greatness, his, all those things that he is. You've been designed to look like that to a world that doesn't know how to find him on their own. You see it? Which means this, that you've been created for more than what everybody else told you. Marriage is the first institution that God ever created on earth. And it's made to show the world what God looks like. Isn't that good? So let's talk about your foundation today. Here's some foundations or some things we need to do to shore up the foundation of a kingdom marriage. Number one, marriage reflects God. Your marriages, your marriages, not your, your marriages, your marriage is, is to be a reflection of the invisible, of the visible God, invisible God on the invisible. Anyway, I messed all that up. Your marriage is the representation of God that people can't see. They get to see him in you. So if God is three in one and marriage is only two in one, how does God get represented in that? You know why Satan hates marriage, right? Because if marriage is supposed to be a symbol of God, a living symbol of God on earth of who God is, then he don't want that to happen. And he's out to kill, steal, and destroy it. That's why he's after marriages like never before. And he has been from day one because, because he does not want people to know God, to understand God, to see God, to experience God. He's trying to prevent that from happening. In fact, I'll tell you this. He didn't really show up and mess with Adam until Adam got married. 
Then what did he try to do? Or what did he do? He deceived and brought division, which then ultimately brought destruction, right? You see, he was threatened by the purpose of marriage, by the foundation of marriage. So I'll step out on a limb and say that Genesis chapter 3 is not only about the fall of man, it's about the fall of marriage also. Let me see if I can explain it this way. The number one reason Cheryl and I are married today, not why we got married, because we didn't know any of this stuff when we got married. We were just two people attracted to each other. She, she, anyway, I'm not going to go there. But I'll tell you what all she was attracted about me about, but I'm not going to say that. Um, we, we, were, we were full of lust for one another, and that's, that's basically what that was. We, we, we longed to be with each other. We longed to spend time together. We liked each other. It had nothing to do with God. But today, we're married, and the number one reason we're married, and we've stayed married for nearly 24 years, is because we realize and understand that our marriage is here to bring glory to God, and our marriage is more about God than it is about us. Amen? Because here's the truth. The minute either one of us makes it about us, everything starts to fall apart. As long as we keep the marriage about him, knowing that if we'll work through the hard things, if we'll go through the struggles, if we'll extend forgiveness to one another, if we'll make allowance for each other's faults, that God's going to be glorified in it all. And we both understand now after 20-something years that we're not in this thing to make each other happy, but to make each other holy. Because you see, it's her imperfections rubbing up against my imperfections that causes holiness. Come on, somebody. Yeah, when they leave their shoes in the middle of the door, that's holiness. When they hog the whole bed, that's holiness. Right, Cheryl? No. (laughs) So marriage reflects God. The number one reason we're married is to glorify God. The fight is to not make it about me. My wrestle, my struggle is to prevent pride from taking over, to prevent selfishness from taking over. How many of you like to have your needs met? Be honest, you're in church. I love to have my needs met. I have great expectations for Cheryl. I don't always communicate them, and they're very seldom realistic. (laughs) She doesn't always meet those expectations, and when she doesn't, there's a wrestle that goes on inside of me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm tempted to be selfish. I'm tempted to look out for me and mine. So marriage reflects God. Foundation number two is marriage represents Christ and the church. I don't know if you realize that. But your marriage is a representation of Christ and his relationship to the church. Ephesians 5.31 says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Two key words in those, in those verses, love and respect. He gives a charge to the man to love his wife and a charge to the woman to respect her husband. And those are powerful truths. And if we'll get those two things right, we can change the whole dynamics of marriage. Amen? We can. So husbands, let me speak to you first. I, wanna, I want you to prepare yourself. Pastor Jamie's going to get on you a little bit. <clears throat> but you're a big boy. You can handle it. Ladies, you're coming next. So husbands are to lead like Christ leads. Man, you're the leader. Whether you want to be or not, you're the leader. Ephesians 5.23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Notice that Jesus did not say the husband should be the head of his wife. He said the husband is the head of his wife. So I want you to understand something today. Jesus sees you as the head of your wife whether you see yourself that way or not. And if he deals with you or as he deals with you, he's dealing with you as the head, not as somebody who should be the head. I can't get an amen out of a man or a woman this morning. I mean, like, golly. He sees you as the head, just as Christ is the head of the church. That's, how we, that's who he's called you to be. You're the head. Here's a question. Are you or not? Are you leading your family or not? Are you leading your wife or not? You got to answer that question today. Are you the leader or not? I've heard this excuse a thousand times, but she won't let me lead. I ain't going to tell you what I want to say. It's your responsibility to lead. Because here's the truth. The essence of true masculinity is taking responsibility. Bruh, you got to take some responsibility. Let's talk about that for a minute. Adam and Eve both sinned, Right? Both of them ate the fruit, right? Was it both their faults? They were both cursed, right? Who did God hold responsible? Who did he call for when they were hiding? So who took responsibility whether he wanted to or not? Mm. But what did he do? It was that woman you gave me. Come on, somebody. Every man alive that's married has said, it's that woman. You gave me that woman. It's that woman. <laughs> You'd have gave me a better one. No, let's just stop. <laughs> You're responsible to lead your wife. You're responsible to lead your kids. Jesus took responsibility for himself and for others. My sins are my fault, but Jesus made them his responsibility. Boy, that's good stuff. I don't care what you say. They were my sins. I committed them. I did them. It was me who, who did it. But Jesus took my, my sin as his responsibility. 
Are your wife's sins your fault? No. But should you take responsibility for them? Yes. Man, you tripping, Pastor. (laughs) Should you take responsibility for them? Yes, you should. You know that thing you don't like about your wife? Do you realize that's the thing that you refuse to speak to? That's the thing that you refuse to address? That's the thing you refuse to speak life to? By the way, the Bible says you wash her with your words. If there's a dirty spot in your wife's life, it's your responsibility. That means you quit washing, bruh. Get the scrub brush, man. Get the soap. Start washing. And the lady said, no, you didn't. You don't want him to wash nothing. (laughs) You can't wash nothing right. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful. Husbands are to lead like Christ leads. Here's the second thing, husbands, and I'm I'm soon going to be over with Husbands are to love like Christ loved. Ephesians 5.25, listen to verse 25 to 28. It says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words, watch this, his words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. He brought out the beauty in her, which means this, that there's beauty in her. I don't know what lie you're believing, but there's beauty in your wife. You're responsible to bring it out. If you don't see it, it's because it's still in there. Notice that Paul didn't command us men to feel something, but to actually do something. He didn't say feel like loving your wife. He said love your wife by what you say and by what you do. He gave us some things we need to do. So watch this. You need to love her physically. That means you need to protect her. She should feel safe and secure. If a woman does not feel safe or secure, come on women, if you don't feel safe or secure, she's not happy. There's no peace. There's no intimacy if she's not safe and secure, which means this. If the lock's broken, it's your responsibility to go fix it. Go fix the lock. But she's always insecure. She's never secure about nothing. Well, keep on going, bro. Fix the lock. Love her emotionally. You need to be emotionally present. And intimate. Ladies, I need to help you understand something. Guys aren't scared of bears, lions, and tigers. They're scared of women's emotions. Amen. Come on, bro. Right? I mean, like, you start to get emotional. We, well, this is what we hear. Run, Forrest, run! Run! We want to check out. We want to get out. We're looking for something to do outside. If you're complaining that your husband never comes inside, it's because he's running. <laughs> but men, listen to me. You have to learn how to engage in her emotions. Oh, man. 
you need to be present. My wife had a rough day this week, a bad day. And I was about this close to missing it. That close. But I didn't. Come on, give me some accolades. I finally got it right. I think I did. Okay. It's pretty crazy to verify it in front of everybody else. She had all this stuff going on inside of her. I knew she was kind of wound up. I could feel the pressure. I knew she was hurting. She was struggling with some things. And she had mentioned, I need to process some things with you, which was a, an indication I almost missed because it's like, yeah, right, whatever. I'm... But I, I was present. And I looked her in the eyes, and, I, and I, after I listened to her and what was bothering her, and I listened to all that. I didn't fix it. I didn't fix it. She didn't want me to fix it. She wanted me to listen to it. Come on, ladies. I'm preaching better than you shouting. She didn't want me to fix it. She wanted me to be present. So, so watch this, guys. It's not going to kill you. I survived. And she said everything that was bothering her. And I didn't fix it. And I encouraged her. I said, baby, it's going to be okay. It's going to turn around. Everything's going to be right. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. And then a little while later, I looked at her and said, hey, you okay? I know I did this because I was intentional. Because <laughs> I wanted to get it right. I think the next day, I was like, hey, you okay? You all right? You feeling okay? I wanted to be present. Emotionally. By the way, never mind. <laughs> I can't say that. Love her verbally. You need to speak honorably to her and of her. Quickest way to get reprimanded by Pastor Jamie is to call your wife your old lady. I'll throw, I'll throw punch you in a heartbeat. She is not your old lady. And by the way, when you call her your old lady, a wrinkle pops out on her face. Because you ain't washing, you throwing mud. Can I get a better Amen. <clears throat> that's when you're talking about her in front of her or you're talking to your friends. Oh, I've busted guys all the time. We'll get around just sound, chewing the cud a little bit, talking, you know what I mean? And they start to relax. And you know what I mean? I told my old lady, I said, what you told? Who? What? My old... So yeah, you ought not say that no more. You didn't marry an old lady. Come on. There you go. Come on. You need to love her verbally. The Bible says you can wash her with your words. You need to love, you need to love her parentally. You need to be pastor dad. The woman should never be the only one raising the kids. Come on, ladies. Dad needs to be present, not just to come bring the hammer. Dad, you need to be the one who sits up with them till 2 o'clock in the morning talking out their feelings and their emotions. Get you some of that. Get you some girls and let them become teenagers and have all these relational issues. And you got to sit up and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. And you're like, God, and they talk and you got to listen. I'm like, ah, what did I do wrong? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Show them I'd listen. You need to be the one shepherding your children. They need a daddy's voice just as much as they need a mama's voice. Come on, somebody. 
And then you need to love her spiritually. You need to be the one who initiates your spiritual life together, men. She don't need to wake you up to go to church. You need to be waking the family up to go to church. She don't need to be asking you to pray. You need to be the one that's praying. You need to know when to pray, how to pray, and what to pray for. Amen? You need to love her spiritually. Don't leave her hanging all by herself. Because here's what I know to be true about a woman. She might not, God might not have designed her to be the leader, but if you don't lead her spiritually, she'll lead the family herself. And women will step up in a heartbeat. I'm serious. Be, oh, no, I got this, Jack. You don't want it. I'm going to get it. It's true. I don't know about you, but I got a little too much pride in my life to let my wife lead me spiritually. Did that hurt? I won't say this nicely. How dare you, man, let your wife be the spiritual leader of your household? How dare you? You're out of order. God did not design her to lead the family spiritually, though she will, though she can. It's the last time you got up in the middle of the night because you're wrestling through a family issue and you went and grabbed your Bible and you sought God's face for an answer to a problem instead of just sit back hoping your wife gets an answer. Because you see, a real man's going to protect his family, not just from the physical burglars, but from the spiritual burglars. He's going to stand guard. He's going to watch. He's not going to let things come in that don't need to come in. He's going to lead. No, we're not going that direction. We're going this direction. He's not a dictator because he can't be a dictator because that don't work. If you're going to lead, you're going to have to lead like Jesus. You're going to have to lay your life down. You're going to have to talk a little bit. You're going to have to address some issues. You're going to have to encourage. You're going to have to speak love. You're going to have to go as an example before everybody else does. And you've got to be willing to die to some things in your life to lead your family like Christ does. Okay, guys, that's enough. So ladies, there's no command in the Bible directly that says that you have to love your husband, though the Bible says we should love everybody, but it does say to respect him. What is respect? Respect is to notice, to regard, to honor, to prefer, to defer to, to encourage, to love, and to admire him to respect him. Notice it didn't say if he's worth it. I don't know who came up with this you got to earn my respect thing. But God commands you to respect your husband. Three types of respect I want to show you this morning. You need to have a head of respect. How do you think about your husband? Oh, what are the thoughts that run through your head? Boy, if we could know. Is it, is it he's an idiot? Is it I could have done better? Is it I'm smarter than he is? Is it I'm more godly than he is? Oh, I've had ladies tell me that right in front of their husbands, and I just, I had to walk off. Well, you know, I'm the spiritual leader of the family. I'm like, mm, I got to go somewhere real quick. I'll be back in a minute. 
Oh, Lord, help me. What lies have you bought into about your husband? Got to answer that question. Because that's real stuff right there. This is foundation work, y'all. This is where it gets messy. I'm digging up the, the inside your house right now. We're busting up some concrete, digging some mud out. We got some dust flying. How do you think about your husband? What do you think about him? Are you believing lies that the enemies told you or that maybe even his parents have told you or somebody else has told you about him? You need to have a head of respect. You need to guard your thoughts about your husband. Then secondly, you need to have a heart of respect. How do you feel about your husband? Are you done with him? You can tell how you feel by what you say. Have you listened to the words that's coming out of your mouth? What do you say in his absence? What do you say in the presence of your children? Oh, you got to be careful with that one. I got a friend, he told me the other day, he said, he said, ma'am, I got to talk to my son, my oldest one. I was like, well, what's up? He said, man, he's complaining about his wife all the time. And I did this. I bit my tongue, but you know what I want to say? I wonder where he got that from. I wonder who his example was. Could it have been you? You got to be careful what you say in front of the kids. I've seen it too many times. The wife will disrespect the husband and then not too long later, the kids will also. We're digging. You can learn a lot by just watching your kids. should be praying more for your husband than you spend time talking about your husband. If you want him to lead like a man of God, you might need to pray and call it out of him. Because this is what I know to be true. If Jesus is going to step out on a limb and say, the husband is, is the head of the wife, then that means there has to be something inside of a man that is a head. There has to be leadership inside the man because Jesus doesn't just make stuff up. If you respect him, you'll begin to draw it out. You don't win with complaining. You win with respect. You don't change him with whining and fussing and moaning. You change him with respect. You got to flip the script. I know you don't feel like respecting him, but you need to do it anyway because the Bible tells you to. I dare you to start respecting him and biting your tongue about what you think you need to say to him and see what God does in his life. Thirdly, you need hands of respect. What do you do for your husband? Do you touch him? Do you serve him? Do you feed him? By the way, that's the quickest way to his heart. Do you pray for him? My wife blessed me last night. I was finishing up my message in, in my office and she came in and she was going to bed and she put her hand on my back and rubbed my back a little bit and then she kissed me on top of my bald head. She had no idea what that meant to me. It was a big deal. Why am I saying that to you? Because I want her to repeat that action again. You see what I'm doing here? It ain't just about you. I got some motivation too. 
Because watch this. If a man's not being respected at home, he's looking for a place to be respected. I'm not saying it's with another woman. Sometimes it's with another group of men, a sporting event, a hunting club, somewhere where he can win. You know when a man can't win long enough, he quits? He'll quit. The temptation's there. You know where a man wants to win the most at? Home. Home. He wants to be respected at home. You know why men have a hard time husbanding their wives? Because we don't like to fight with the things that we love or the people that we love. The last person I want to fight with on the planet is Cheryl. Not because she can throw punch me better than anybody else, but because she's the one I love the most. So if I'm not careful, I will neglect calling things out, neglect addressing issues or things that are bothering me because I don't want a confrontation right here. But I need to not be afraid of confrontation and I need to engage and say, baby, that hurt. Amen? So you need to have a head of respect, a heart of respect, and hands of respect. Let me give you the third principle for foundation, for a kingdom foundation in your marriage. It's this, marriage requires covenant. It requires covenant. I'm going to show you the difference between covenant and contract. But in Malachi, God is telling them why he is not receiving their worship. God in, in Malachi was just re refusing to receive these people's worship. And watch what he says. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and your wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God don't like it when you call her your old lady. God don't like the way you treat her daughter sometime. I got corrected one time. Holy Spirit corrected me. I was trying to push my, my expectations on Cheryl and it was causing a bunch of conflict and, and I was mishandling her and we just had a big old disagreement. And, and I went and prayed. You know how I pray. This is how I pray when me and Cheryl get in a fight. Lord, fix that woman. That's how it always starts. A little while later, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, you better be careful how you handle my daughter. I don't know if you realize this, but God takes your marriage very seriously. He takes your covenant very seriously. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract, and there's a big difference. In a contract, we protect our rights and limit our responsibilities. It's kind of like a rental agreement. If you're going to go rent a house, you don't know each other, so you don't trust each other, so you sign this contract that says if you pay, you stay. If you don't pay, you don't stay. If you tear it up, you pay more, right? So it's a contract. It says if you do your part, then I'll do my part. But a contract can be broken. A covenant can't. 
covenant means that we give up our rights and pick up our responsibilities as one person of two in the covenant. I give up my rights and I pick up my responsibilities whether she's picking up hers or not. Come on. Because I've heard too many married couples say, well, well if, if he'll start doing what he's supposed to do, then I'll start doing what I'm supposed to do. And then I usually come back with, well, who's going to grow up and not be a kid anymore and do the first thing first? Who's going to be the bigger person in this whole situation and start to lead? And I'm usually looking at the man. It's a covenant. You give up your rights, but you pick up your responsibilities. Divorce is a word that's never spoken in my house. We don't threaten each other with it. We don't use it as a hand grenade. Like if things get too bad, I go, okay, then let's get a divorce. My kids have never heard us say that. They've never spent a night in fear wondering if mom and dad were going to get a divorce. Now, they've probably wondered if we were going to kill each other a few times, but they never wondered about divorce. You know, the Bible does say, till death do you... (laughs) But you didn't make a covenant when you made your vows. You said, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. The only way out of a covenant is death. Is that how you feel about your marriage? Are you there till the death? Let me wrap it up with this. Your marriage is not measured by your feelings. It's measured by your commitment. Timothy Keller said, you didn't fall in love, you committed to it. Because let me tell you something, there's going to be days you don't feel like it. You've been been married longer than about two months, there's times you don't feel like it. But are you committed is the question. By the way, love doesn't give a person what they deserve. It gives them what they need. You see it? It gives them what they need, not what they deserve. If Cheryl and I gave each other what we deserve, we'd be black and blue. At least I would. This I've learned over 23 years of marriage is I need Cheryl the most on my worst day. She needs me most on her worst day. The day of my greatest failures, I don't need her to come along and confirm what the enemy's already told me and what I've already beaten myself up about. I need her to come with some respect knowing that I'm going to fail, but she's already made allowance for that. She's preloaded forgiveness in her heart from my worst days. I need her the most on those days. She needs me the most on those days. And as a man, I'm not always aware, but I have to take responsibility to become aware. 
because I can't hide behind that excuse anymore. I used to say, well, I just don't know. I don't know when you're going through stuff. I know. You feel it when you walk in the house. You can tell by how she shuts the cabinet doors. If she's had a good day or a bad day, you don't even need to ask. You can tell with the first look. You know what the world needs to see right now? With a 68% jump in domestic violence. You know what the world needs to see? It needs to see covenant marriage. It needs to see kingdom marriage. It's not perfect, but it's in process. And it's not given up. And there's no way out. They see, the world needs to see a man lay his life down for his wife and his family. Come on, more than anything. Like, listen to me. I learned a long time ago, if she's, if she's struggling or we're fighting, I don't need to go to work and I better not go play. I need to stay home and take care of her first. You see it? It's laying down his life. And the world needs to see a woman who has mad respect for her husband. She washes with her with her words. She speaks life over him. She calls out the man of God in him. He may not be everything that she wants him to be, but he is who God wants him to be. Call it out. Respect it out. Amen. Let's pray. God, I come to you today and I thank you. your beautiful image of what marriage is. Thank you that it's a reflection of you, God. It's a reflection of your image. It's a reflection of your character and your nature to the world that needs to see you, to a world that needs to experience you. God, I pray over every marriage today that your hand would be on us to love deeper, to lead better, to respect fully. To appreciate our differences and eventually leverage them to advance your kingdom. God, would you begin to move in every one of these marriages today? to do a mighty work in every one of us, Lord. I thank you for your heart for marriage. I thank you for the power of kingdom marriage. Help us today. Help us today. So I want to ask each of you a question this morning. To the husbands, I want to say this. I want you to not write it down, but I want you to, to hold in your mind. What is the one thing about your wife that irritates you the most? And then I want you to begin to speak to it. I want you to begin to wash it with your words and see what happens. You got it? What thing in your wife irritates you or upsets you the most. 
And I want you to begin to wash it with your words. I don't want you to complain about it. I want you to wash it with your words. Then ladies, what area are you struggling to respect your husband? And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit in to help you. Amen? You got it? Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thank you.